You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 32. And when their time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Thank you, Helen, and good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. It is wonderful to be with you today. Uh, my name is Luke, if you haven't met me, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, so fantastic to have so many people here. There's almost no room at the inn, you could say. Uh, there you go. Who needs Christmas crackers when you got me? But uh, it's uh, a fantastic uh, day to be together and to celebrate Christmas uh, and, and this wonderful season. And, and kids, I'm wondering, how did you sleep last night? All the kids here, how did you sleep? It's impossible, isn't it? Christmas Eve is like the longest night of the year. You know that the next day is Christmas Day when you get all of these fantastic presents that you've been waiting for. You're going to get all of this amazing food, which is really exciting. So how can you sleep when all of that is to come? I used to hate it when I was a kid, just hated it. I just didn't know how I'd ever be able to sleep on Christmas Eve. And so me and my brothers would try to get as tired as we possibly could. We'd go down to the park and run around, play on all the swings, try to get out as much energy as possible, go to bed as late as possible, but still it didn't work. And the night just felt endless. And if you woke up early, it was just the worst. Maybe you'd wake up about 5am just as the sun's starting to come in, creep into your bedroom, your parents' bedroom to see if they are awake. And of course, they're not awake because adults are boring and they don't care about Christmas enough. They don't realise how exciting it is. So you wake them up and say, and then they say something ridiculous, like just go back to bed and go back to sleep, as if that's going to happen. But you'd sort of slink off back to bed and wait, staring at the ceiling, wishing the time away, and finally the clock creaks over to 6.01. So you race back in there to sit, grab your parents. Actually, my son actually woke up at 6.01 today. Very good. <laughs> but, but even then, it would just take the adults ages It's just terrible. They just don't get it. Like they slowly stagger out of bed and make their way to the kitchen, get themselves a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, whatever, and they just dawdle. Like there's just no intensity. There's no urgency with adults until finally they say, all right, we'll open the presents. 
Christmas feels like it's all about waiting. When you're a kid, you have this Christmas list for months. The day after your birthday, you're already starting on your list for Christmas, what kind of stuff you'd love to have. And every time you go to the shops, you try to sneak off to the toys and suggest something to your parents. Maybe I could get this for Christmas. Wouldn't that be interesting? Then in December, you see the tree go out in the, in the lounge room and all the presents start to collect underneath. And you sort of sneak in there and you kind of look, oh, that's one for my brother, one for my mum, this one for me. You shake it. Is it Lego? Fantastic. This is exciting. Oh, you're always dreading, though, that you're worried that it's going to be socks. Like parents, adults just love socks. It's weird. They always think you want them. But even to be honest, as an adult, it's still a time of waiting and excitement. I was really excited because I knew there was a present under the tree for me. Turned out it was an air fryer. It's going to be amazing for my, <laughs> for my chicken lunches, for my uh, chicken drumsticks at lunchtime. I love it when the kids have nuggets because when they don't finish them, I get to eat them. Uh, <laughs> so Christmas brings out the child in us, in all of us, really, because we're all excited by it. It brings out the waiting and the impatience in us because Christmas is all about waiting. And actually, waiting is at the heart of the Christmas story. You see, it's great to get a new bike or a new video game, but of course, Christmas is about a bigger present, a bigger thing, the most incredible gift of all, the gift that God gave us when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, the gift that God's people have been waiting for for centuries. And that's actually what we see in our passage today. You might not be super familiar with this passage because it kind of comes in Luke 2 just after the birth of Jesus. It's about three or four weeks after Jesus' birth maybe, but he's still a newborn baby, so it's still Christmassy. And his parents had brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as at the temple. Now, this was something that all the Jewish parents would do. Their firstborn child would be consecrated to God, kind of dedicated to God. They would say, God, we thank you for this baby, this wonderful child, and we, we dedicate ourselves to living and, and bringing this child up to know and to love you. And when they get there, when Joseph and Mary get there with Jesus, they bump into this guy called Simeon. And we're told in verse 26 that this man, Simeon, has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. And in those few words lie all the history of God's people. You see, the story of God's people is really all about waiting. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, so right near the start of the Bible, God comes to a guy called Abraham and makes an incredible promise to him. I will make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is a pretty crazy promise because when Abraham and his wife get this promise, they're really old. He's, he's 75, she's 90 and they haven't been able to have kids. And now they're getting told that they're going to have this massive nation that comes from them. It just seems crazy. In fact, even after receiving this promise, they have to wait another 25 years before their baby, their first son, Isaac, is born. And then even then, there's a whole bunch of waiting for their descendants. It's years, it's centuries before they become a great nation. And then when they do become a great nation, it just ends up that the Egyptians get really jealous of them and enslave them. And so the promise of being a great nation and having a special land for their own must have felt incredibly distant as they're labouring in Egypt for 400 years as slaves, waiting for God to deliver them. Eventually, God's deliverance does come and he brings them out to the brink of the promised land. But again, he asks them to wait until a whole generation passes away because they don't trust him enough. Finally, they're allowed into the land, but even then it takes them years, centuries, generations before they get all of the land. 
Eventually, a guy called David comes along who becomes their king. And finally, everything looks really good with him. See, God makes another incredible promise to this guy, David, saying that he will establish his throne forever and give him a great dynasty. We read about this in a book called 2 Samuel chapter 7. God will make his name great and he'll give them rest from all their enemies and under his rule, his people will finally have a place that's secure and comfortable. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, says God, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And then after that, after David dies, God will give a great dynasty after him, a succession of kings, and one of these kings will be a great, great king. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, God says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do you see what God's doing here? He's actually filling out the promise that he made to Abraham. He said to Abraham that he would make a a great nation out of him And here God is explaining how that's going to happen. It's going to happen through this great king, this king that God will raise up. This sounds like something worth waiting for. This sounds like a, a promise to hold on to. And God's people will have to wait. You see, David's a great king, but after his death, things unravel very quickly. Within a couple of generations, the kingdom's divided and they lose the land. But God never forgets his promises. And he reaffirms them to them. In the book of Isaiah, we read, God gives them this promise. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. God is going to break into the darkness of their situation. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is a promise that that king that God had said would come is going to come, is going to come soon and God's people will be rescued. This figure will become known as their Messiah, their hero, the Christ, they would call him. And God's people are waiting for this. And that's really where we find ourselves as we get to today's passage. This is the promise that God's people are waiting for. Simeon, we're told, is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's what it's talking about, this consolation, this promise, this comfort that God is offering. That's what they're waiting for. God has made it clear that it will come, that it will come through this great king and that that king is coming soon. God's people are waiting, but it will be worth the wait. And incredibly, on this day, for Simeon, that waiting is over. Simeon was a wonderful man. We're told that he was righteous and devout in verse 25, which basically means that he he treated his relationship with God really seriously and and he was careful about that, but he also loved other people around him. And we're told that the Holy Spirit, that God was upon him. So he has this very special relationship with God. God is always leading him and guiding him. And he woke up this morning and he was told by God to go to the temple because his waiting would be over. 
the promise would be fulfilled. It would have been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would, could not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And so he comes up to the temple tingling with anticipation and excitement because today he's going to see the promise fulfilled. Just imagine what that would have been like, waiting all of your life for this thing to happen, this thing that you see is the most important and critical thing in your whole life, waiting for this all of this time, for generations, for decades, you've waited for this. Today you get to see it. So as he looks at this tiny little baby, God says, this is the one. He's here. All of your Christmases have come at once in the person of Jesus. And so when he picks him up, he holds this baby up and he declares, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's like his whole life has been fulfilled. He'll die in peace now because he has seen God's salvation. And do you notice something else? He sees that this hero is not just for the Jews but for everyone. My eyes have seen your salvation, he says, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, he recognises that this hero is not just for one group of people but for the whole world, for anyone who will come and receive him. Again, God is filling out his promises. He said to Abraham, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless the world through you. Through you. And here Simeon sees that. He sees that Christ has come, the hero has come, the Messiah has come who will bless all people. He is the light of the world, the prince of peace, a light for revelation and understanding for all kinds of people. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It's what Israel wanted back then and it's what we would want now too, isn't it? This is a, what a restless and a weary world longs for, a world fractured by division and poverty and inequality and, and war and tension and strife. That's the world around us. That's the world that we experience. And in our own lives, we have a sense of restlessness too, don't we? A desire for things to get better to feel more at peace, for relationships to be mended. These are the things that we hope for. These are the things that we long for, that we're waiting for. And in the midst of all of this, we have this promise to hold on to, a king who will come and bring life, a king who will fix it all. And that's the promise of Christmas. But you'll also notice that there's a bit of a shadow over the whole thing as well. You see what Simeon says at the end, verse 34, And Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, Simeon has come to understand that, that the Messiah will bring not just life but also death, that while some people will respond to him in faith, Others will reject him. It seems crazy, doesn't it? Even God's people ended up rejecting him. The people who've been waiting centuries and centuries and generations for this Messiah to come, they ended up rejecting him. In fact, they had him killed. And I always think that that shadow over Christmas is so strange 
You know, like when you look at a little baby and, and you see this life of innocence and possibility and potential and you wonder how that could ever go wrong. Or you think about someone whose life has become a mess and you think back, that was once a child too. Where did it go wrong? How could that go wrong? Imagine poor Mary looking at this beautiful little baby that she's had, nursing this baby and then being told that this child will suffer. Simeon says a sword will pierce through your soul and you can imagine it. You see, Mary will be here again in Jerusalem 30 years later and she'll hear the crowds demand that her son be crucified. And she'll be there at the foot of the cross watching as her son is abused and tormented. She will suffer as he suffers. But how could this happen? How could Christmas become Easter? You know, this time of love and joy and gifts, how could it become a time of sadness and grief? Well, Simeon gives us a clue. Verse 35, Jesus will reveal the thoughts from many hearts. See, Jesus will expose what's inside us. You see, Jesus was the Messiah come to save people, but the salvation that he offered was different to what people perhaps were looking for. See, God's people at the time wanted just an earthly saviour, someone who would make their nation great and powerful and give them ease and prosperity. But Jesus actually had a different vision, a bigger vision. He had come to save them, not just for now, but for forever. And that meant saving them from themselves, saving them from sin. See, that's actually what we all need, what we really need. Just like the Jews in the uh, in the Old Testament, we are a broken people. We're prone to stray. We we're made to live under God, under his rule, to live with God, our creator, as our king. But we resist this. See, we actually want to be our own king or our own queen to live according to our own rules. But it doesn't really work, does it? Our selfishness corrupts everything and it makes us both perpetrators and victims. And so we're restless and unhappy we need saving. We need saving from ourselves. But we have to accept that. We have to want that. We have to ask for that. See, Jesus reveals our hearts because he challenges our hearts. He challenges our idea of ourselves. We like to think that we're pretty nice people. We don't need God. But Jesus reminds us that we do need God. And so the very nature of his work is confronting are we willing to accept our need for him? Are we willing to accept our need for forgiveness? Are we willing to trust him so that we can have life with him? He has come to save us, but only if we are willing to be saved. So are you willing? See, Simeon says that some people will stumble over Jesus, stumbling over their own pride, but others will humble themselves and accept the gift of Jesus. What will it be for you? Simeon said that Jesus would reveal the hearts of many people, and he still does. The writer William Barclay says it's not so much God who judges a man, a man judges himself, and his judgment is his reaction to Jesus Christ. If when he's confronted with that goodness and that loveliness of Jesus, his heart runs out in answering love, then they are within the kingdom. But if when he's confronted, he, they remain coldly unmoved or actively hostile, then they're condemned. 
there is a great refusal, just as there is a great acceptance. So what does Jesus coming reveal about your heart, about my heart? How will we respond to this great gift of Jesus? Really what I'm saying is, what are we looking for? What, what are we waiting for? Perhaps you're, you're waiting for something better. Well, there's no one better than Jesus. There's no one who loved like Jesus did. There's no one who had such power and then used it to serve so generously. Perhaps you're waiting for someone different, something different. Perhaps something you that's more affirming, that, that puts the focus on, on us rather than on Jesus. But, but will it work? Will it heal our restlessness? Or maybe we just want to wait a little bit longer. Perhaps we can see the claims of Jesus, but we just figure we wait a little bit longer. But what if we wait too long? Now, Jesus is worth waiting for and he's worth choosing now. You see, it's Christmas and Jesus is here already. Jesus has already come and Jesus now offers us life, a full life, a forever life. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the wonderful counsellor who can heal your heart. He's the great king who deserves to rule this world and our lives. He's worth waiting for and we don't have to wait any longer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the wonder of Christmas. We thank you for the joy of Christmas, the joy ultimately of the gift of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you stepped into this world there have been so many promises and prophecies about you for hundreds of years and finally you came. We thank you that this actually happened, that there was a little baby born in a manger and that that baby grew up to bring life to those around him. We thank you that he died so that we could have eternal life, a life with you, our King and our Creator. Lord, help us to receive you this Christmas. You were worth waiting for and you're now here to help us to receive you and to embrace you. Give us life for your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.